Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about things that are weighing on our minds. I am Trevor Kizan. I'm a super chub, and I'm also a little jelly bean that you found in the couch cushion from Easter. Is it from this Easter? Is it from last Easter? Maybe you don't know. Maybe you're going to eat it because we're at that point in quarantine where you really don't care what people think. Uh, this is my quarantine life. Are you a Bernie Bots bean? I am a watermelon flavored jelly belly Ooh. Uh, where I'm green on the outside, but pink on the inside. That sounds about right. That tracks. And I am Michael. I am a chaser. And today I am a chocolate covered frog. You'll find out why later, though. <laughs> Spoilers, <I'm>, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I am Don. I live in Hollywood. I am a chub. And I am the full size candy bar you're always hoping for at Halloween. Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, I'm Dan Oliverio. Uh, I'm an author and public speaker, and I'm a chaser. And um, I'm today, I'm a piece of hard candy. Oh, oh yeah. My. But what <laughs> kind of hard candy? How hard? The kind that's like a cough drop, but you like it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, Trevor, we had asked a question last week at the end of the episode basically wondering if people and i think don had asked this if people uh had noticed that it was fresh vegetables that went first or like healthy foods that went first in grocery stores right when the pandemic hit or if it was sort of the other way around because here in la it did seem to be mostly the healthy foods but maybe that wasn't the case um so i received two responses to this question um one of which from my uh my trevor from another mother my colleague right, <laughs> named Trevor, um, who Michael and I played D&D with. Yeah. And he said, to answer your question for, uh, for Midwest listeners, the frozen pizzas were put under, put under the same restrictions as toilet paper. They were selling out for freezing. Mac and cheese, too. <laughs> uh, fruits and v- vegetables definitely took a hit, but I was still able to get our usual supply without too much issue. Uh, the meat shortage is a big thing now. There's very little beef in stores around here now. So I guess it does vary. Although I will say a friend of mine that I heard from responded and said that where he's from in the South, it was all of the healthy foods that went first. Um, but he's from a, a slightly larger city. So I'm I'm curious, like, what what's the difference there? Is it being in a city that makes a difference? Because Trevor's not in a particularly no. big city. Um, another uh, friend of the podcast uh, replied to our post saying... Um, to answer your question, what did your grocery store look like? Uh, I live in Tennessee and the meat was gone. The chips and snack things were gone. Ramen, beans, and instant mashed potatoes were gone. But all the healthy stuff was still there. Uh, so while I wasn't able to get some meat, I was able to get vegan McChickens, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to issue a retraction. <laughs> um, apparently, so I, I made the bold claim that McChickens came with pickles and you guys put me in my place about it and I was insistent. Apparently, where I worked at McDonald's, people just ordered them with pickles every time. And of course, they don't come with them. I just thought that's how they were. I just I love that. assumed that's how they were supposed to wow. be. It was just unthinkable that they come any other way. Yeah, I couldn't imagine it. Yeah, they were so just I, very upset at McDonald's for not being Chick Fil A and just wanted that pickle <laughs> action right now. So I need to apologize personally to Lizzo for accusing her of not making a proper vegan McChicken without pickles. This is uh, so how the sweet. pickle turns. I'm so glad the three of us could be here for your first senior moment, Michael. <laughs> My first? How long have you known me? <laughs> <laughs> um. 
so in the spirit of that, uh, we actually wanted to ask y'all, y'all listeners, another question and see if we could get some interesting responses that we could talk about in a future episode. And this came up as a potential idea for a recurring bit that we might do. But um, Dan, did you want to, I think this is your wording here. Did you want to set up the question sure. that we wanted to ask people? Yeah. So we were talking about ways that people are are in the, the pandemic right now. And so we wanted to know, is there an action you've taken or a conversation you've had with a friend or family member that's had a positive impact on they relate on how they relate to your being fat or your attraction to fat people? Uh, what worked? What didn't work? How has your relationship improved because of the action or conversation? And we'd just love to hear because I'm sure other people would also like to know what worked for people or what didn't work. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very curious. I think we'll save our own responses for uh, for when we get to that episode. But I think that could be a really fun way to um, have to introduce some positive discussions uh, with our listeners. And I also want to add that uh, I've heard from a few people, and I think maybe Dan and I have done a, a better job of this, or the, the, the four of us have, but I've heard from a few people that their experience of being fat really hasn't been all that bad or like uh, ha ha maybe haven't felt the same kinds of social pressures that we tend to talk about because that is the ubiquitous experience, I think, for a lot of people. Um, so trying to find a way to represent kind of both sides of people's experiences, because sometimes it's it isn't necessarily something that is like this negative impact in your life. Well, and, and, I, and I, be sorry. And I wonder if, that, if that's because what they're they're doing something that does work. And so it actually never rises to the, to the level of of being yeah. horrible and oppressive. Well, I'm also wondering if there's some effect on literally geography. Like mm -hmm. if you're fat in oh, LA, definitely. you get you get treated very differently than if you're fat in Peoria, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, maybe include your your location or anything you think is relevant with your answer, because it would be really fun to kind of explore that with actual, you know, anecdotes from listeners. Maybe we can make like a a map on Google Maps <laughs> and pin people's responses so we can see uh like a yeah a fat map. A fat map. I like that idea, actually. I would like to see that. Let's um, make it happen. I guess kind of related to this uh, idea of family and fat and the podcast. So back in episode two, I was kind of, uh, <laughs> I said, you know, my mom hadn't listened to the podcast. I didn't know if she knew it existed because there had been, uh, when we released the podcast, there was like kind of a family fight going on. Um, and I was like, I don't really want to possibly activate anything by being like, hey, I'm doing a podcast about fat and sex. So sometime at the end of last week, my mom followed the podcast on Instagram and then sent me a message being like, oh my God, this is so exciting. Why didn't you say anything? I can't wait to listen. How do I listen on Instagram? So then I had oh. to explain to her like, okay, no, like I sent her a picture of the Apple podcasts like app and was describing mm -hmm. to her how to listen. But I also was like, okay, but like, so we talk about, you know, sex, sometimes and like i don't really know if that's your thing <laughs> i should interject here that this is also the woman who didn't like sex in the city because who would talk to their friends about sex <laughs> i think we talk about that in episode two <laughs> um, but so then two days later she was like you know after much consideration um i've decided i'm not going to listen the podcast but you know i love and support you and everything you do and Aww. i don't want you to feel constrained or you know like mm -hmm. you can't say anything which i mean <laughs> for those of you who have gotten this far in the podcast obviously uh that's not the case <laughs> um, 
But it so was really a, lovely, though. Yeah, it's that's natural to have curiosity. During the, when we posted the Valentine's Day episodes, I, I forget the disclaimer I put on it on Facebook, but it was basically like, you know, moms, this may be the one you want to skip. At which point, mm. the first response was from my stepmother going like, oh, well, this is the one I have to listen to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, the Valentine's Day one, I was surprised at the number of people that listened to both all the way through. All the um, way, yep. I, I don't know if I said this, my Pilates instructor who listens, uh, after he got to that point, he's like, I learned a lot of new things about your body. Um, <laughs> from that, but I have a better understanding of your body now and how it moves. That's, I mean, that's kind of fantastic though. Yeah, I agree. I mean, a, that he listened and Hey, this is our follow up. He actually finished the episode. Like the last we heard, he kept falling asleep around the chocolate heart box. Bit. <laughs> yes. uh, no, he started falling asleep now around the, when us describing the cruise ship and dreaming he was on the cruise ship. <laughs> But I guess speaking of listening to things as you fall asleep, um, yes, I noticed the other day that uh, on Spotify, Daniel Radcliffe—I uh, <laughs> feel like I don't need to say this—but Daniel Radcliffe from Harry Potter. Oh, that <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe! Oh, of, okay, of Harry is, Potter uh, fame. Because you know we've got reading, a neighbor <laughs> <laughs> is reading the Harry Potter books uh, chapter mm-hmm. by chapter, which. Don was saying that this is the first time he's read the books. No, no, that was, that was, <laughs> okay. I believed you. I, I believed I, you. You said it with this such like, <laughs> <laughs> so you can listen to him, read them on Spotify. Yes. Uh, I think yeah. other streaming platforms, but I use Spotify for everything. So, so um, I wonder, I wonder if our PR audience has figured out why we're talking so much about Harry Potter and Daniel Radcliffe at this point. Well, because this is a Harry Potter podcast now, everyone. Now, That's everybody, right. Harry Potter fan cast. This is our big fast Potter pen podcast. Yes. Yes. Well said, Don. Well said. Big fat gay Potter. Yes. There you go. Nice. That's, that's oh, okay. <laughs> so today we had a really fun topic that that Trevor actually came up with um, about sort of children's literature and how fat is handled in it and specifically fat phobia. Um, did you want to sort of set us up with that? Yeah, sure. Um, so obviously I kind of came back to this from seeing Harry Potter in my Spotify thing. This is a very, uh, I'm very passionate about children's literature and fat because I love children's literature and I, I wrote a middle grade book with a fat character specifically to kind of address uh, this gap of any kind of fat positivity within children's literature. Uh, young adult literature, which is like, think like um, junior high and above, has started to address this. Like uh, I've mentioned Julie Murphy in the past who wrote uh, Dumplin' mm-hmm. and Put In and Ramona Blue and, you know, several other wonderful books. But middle grade literature still is in this place of whenever a character is fat, it is usually to show that they are flawed in some way, either just being greedy or stupid or gluttonous. And the fatter they are, the more terrible they are. Mm -hmm. And Harry Potter is one of these books where I think that is very prominent. Yeah. Repeatedly too. Yes. And, uh, specifically like, I think, you know, uh, Harry Potter's family, the the Dursleys, mm-hmm. Vernon and Dudley. They're fat and terrible and cruel. And Dudley, you know, as kind of Harry Potter's growing up, Dudley gets fatter and more cruel. Yeah. Like his fatness and, is in proportion to how cruel he is. Yeah. Um, so that second thing is a lot of times in kids' books, uh, 
fatness is also equated with being a bully. Yes. Yeah, it's it's almost like there's two choices. The fat character is either the victim or the bully. Or if you remember that TV show, what was the one that was canceled where she's both? She gets her jaw wired mm-hmm. shut and then she turns from being the victim into the bully. Yeah. That would yeah. be yeah. it. So, but yeah, the, a number of commentators in the in the fatosphere have made that observation that fat characters in children's lit tends to tend to be either bullies or victims. Um, just while we're at the top of the segment, um, we referenced several articles. Um, I've kind of noticed because someone pointed it out to me that we have stopped saying the authors when we reference articles. Oh. So I just want I'm going to just list off our sources quickly because they're fantastic mm-hmm. reads. Sorry, before you get to that, that so I think the reason sometimes we forget to to do that is because we do do our due diligence on the website where we yes. list all of our resources. But yes, we'll try and be in the podcast. We'll try and be better about that. Yes. Sorry. Uh, so just quickly at the top of the segment, I'll list off the, the articles we reference. Um, from Slate, we have The Wonderful, Terrible Power of Food and Rolled Doll by Annalisa Quinn. Uh, we have The Ideology of Fatness in Children's Stories by Lindley Stace. Pig Tales to Fat Ladies, Fat Phobia in the Harry Potter Universe by Lady Saika. Uh, and from CBC Diversity, Diversity 101, Who's That Fat Kid? Fat Politics in Children's Literature by Rebecca Rabanowitz. Mm-hmm. So clap, clap, clap. Thank you all for yeah, writing these really lines. wonderful articles each. Oh, and I mean, um, Harry Potter by J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> so I found a, I found a list of anti-fat tropes in in children's books that I thought might be a good place to lead off from. Like so these are the these are the problems that you see across children's literature sort of summed up into a quick list. And they broke it down to four of them. Uh one is so many books center on skinny characters learning to treat pap- uh, treat fat people with respect only have it after they've learned earned it by going above and beyond to prove their humanity. So basically, Mm -hmm. these fat characters have to do something truly and deeply exceptional to prove they get to be treated as an equal to everyone else. Right. Yep. I've seen that so many times. Second trope. uh, So many books offer the only path to humanity and acceptance through diet and exercise. Pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Naturally. Three. So many books end with the parents beaming at their successfully downsized child who is now worthy of love and affection because they've starved themselves thin. Fourth trope. So many books with fat, happy, confident characters who are depicted as pigs, elephants, and cows surrounded by smaller animals who make fun of them. If that seems to be the symbol, a lot of children literature anthropomorphize animals, right? Mm -hmm. And overweight characters are almost always dinosaurs, cows, and elephants. Pigs. And And pigs. And pigs. Uh, so this is sort of the baseline that we have to work from in children's literature. That's what we see. What's interesting for me is that uh, I think started, let's, if, starting with Harry Potter, because it's sort of how we led into this. Um, Trevor was mentioning the Dursleys, and there are a lot of other characters in that world. Crab and Goyle, um, the two primary physical bullies through the entire thing. Crab and Goyle and, um, sorry, the pink lady. I'm forgetting her name. Umbridge? Uh, Alora, Umbridge. Yes, Dolores Umbridge. Umbridge. D- Dolores um, Umbridge. Also describes you know, in very specific fat terms. So JK Rowling, um, I think it's, it's hard to argue that she doesn't largely characterize fat people in many negative ways. Like that's pretty much the only way they show up in her stories. Well, it's worth pointing out that there are actually positive fat characters in there, but their, their fatness is completely downplayed to the point where like you might miss it. Like who? So uh, professor sprout, is is ple- pleasingly plump. In yes, and Molly Weasley. Um, 
Um, Molly Weasley, again, the, it's the, like the matronly plumpness, yes. which is okay. But that's also, but that's just code for acceptable yes. facts. Right. Like you're not, you're not right. out of bounds yet. Right. Well, but it, but yeah. it's through their perceptions of the kids. And so it's like, I think, yes. and, and part of the way that it influences the reader is that she, when she writes, she is constantly reminding the reader of how fat somebody is when they are a terrible person. Yes. Also. Particularly with the Dursleys. I, I found this really interesting. So there is a famous quote by J.K. Rowling. It's a longer quote from an interview with her, but I, this is the quote you usually see like floating around Tumblr. Um, I mean, is fat really the worst thing a human can be? Is fat worse than vindictive, jealous, shallow, vain, boring, or cruel? Not to me. So she follows this quote up, and this is sort of the rest of it from the interview. Uh, she tells a story um, when she went to the British Book Awards uh, after the ceremony, she bumped into a woman she hadn't seen for nearly three years. And the first thing the woman said to her was, you've lost weight since the last time I saw you. And her re reaction was, well, you know, the last time you saw me, I just had a baby. But then also what she felt like saying was, I produced my third child and my sixth novel since the last time I saw you. Aren't either of those things more important, more interesting than my size? Uh, but no, my waist looks smaller. Forget the kid in the book. Finally, something to celebrate. Yeah. And so here's the point I wanted to make. How do you reconcile that with what you've just pointed out before? Whereas all these basically fat equals bad in so many characters. And and then Don pointed out some of these exceptions. I think what's might be operating here and, and, and a lot of people in the fatosphere have said, they're like, you know, Rowling, you need to look at your own inner prejudices. But I think what it is, is this. When it comes to the fat equals bad, almost all of those characters are male. You see it with Dudley and Vernon, his father. You see a different sort of fat equals stupid in Fantastic Beasts. Right. Uh, but when it comes, the only female fat character who is really evil comes in with the ant and the uh, 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 Dolores Umbridge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I will point out that uh, in the case of Aunt Marge, it's also emphasized, you know, she's fat, but also she's like, she's mannish. You know, she has a, mm -hmm. they describe her mustache and, you know, it's not as thick as uh, mm -hmm. Uncle Vernon's, but, you know, it's very noticeable. Right. So the scene we're talking about for anyone who isn't familiar is that early on in the Harry Potter series, uh, the Vernon's sister, uh, br uh, sister uh, comes to visit them and she is exceedingly cruel, especially to Harry. Um, and he finally retorts uh, by using magic accidentally to sort of inflate her to an enormous size. And she sort of floats up into the sky. Um, and as Trevor was saying, she's described as looking almost exactly like Vernon uh, down to the mustache um, and behaving even crueler than than he was. So, Dan, uh, walk me through your point you were making. I, I didn't quite I didn't quite grasp the, like the difference you're drawing between mm -hmm. like the male, the way that male and female is represented in in J.K. Rowling's writing. That the idea I think where J.K. Rowling gets offended is when it has to do with fat women and that if you make the association of fat equals bad with men, that sort of passes. That's sort of OK. Interesting. Something that I've seen that is almost makes Harry Potter, uh, those books treat fat people kindly is when you look at the role, works of Roald Dahl mm. and uh, people have been talking about this, too, in various articles that we mentioned where it's. And even in Roald Dahl, who is uh, famous for writing Charlie and the Ch Willy Wonka, Willy Wonka and the, and the Chocolate Factory, Factory, the Glass Elevator, James and the Giant Peach, James and the Giant Peach, The Witches. 
Yeah, many, I mean, all, so many of which have been made into movies. And there is, even in Roald Dahl's personal writings, there is such an association of trauma with food and food being the cause of mm -hmm. evil and uh, uh, trans transformation. And it's his, his own relationship with food. And, it, you know, he actually writes about this. I think he, there's a quote of him telling his future wife that I'd rather be dead than fat. Oh, yes. Oh, boy. And you can see that completely in his work. I remember yeah. being so upset you, watching Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when I was a kid. Mm, the way, so Augustus Gloop, for those of you who have not seen the movie or not spread the book, all of these children brought into the Chocolate Factory are presented as having a fatal flaw, sadly, yeah. very literally in this sense. One of them, their flaw is they watched too much television. One of them is a spoiled brat who wants everything right now, their way. Um, and Augustus Gloop is a character whose flaw is that he's fat. Right. Pretty much it. Well, because gluttony and fat are conflated for him. The for, only for negative Dahl, right? thing that he, the only like actual bad thing he does, he doesn't obey his mother to get away from the chocolate river and he falls in and he gets vacuumed up into a tube where we can only assume he dies horribly. Right. So the other kids genuinely display a lot of really awful sort of bratish traits uh, whether it's selfishness or laziness or whatever. And in his case, the only thing that he does wrong is that he gets excited about a chocolate river and wants to go drink the chocolate and falls in. And that's, that's Dahl's point. Yeah. I mean, that you're, I, I yeah. would think that the author would say, yes, that yeah. is just as yeah, bad. Exactly. As yeah. I'm trying to remember. So at the end of the book, we spoilers once again for Charlie and the chocolate <laughs> factory, we see the children, and their parents leaving the factory and they have survived, but they're all kind of brutally maimed in some way. Um, right. But I don't remember if Augustus Gloop is or not. I think he might have been stretched out. Didn't, yeah. Didn't he get stretched thin? Because he gets sucked up the because tube he, and then he, yeah. the, uh, we find out the tube stretched him out. So he's not fat anymore. He's just kind of like a, a yeah. tube shaped child. Right, right. So again, it's, but it's a fat character that exists purely to get a, it, his body is a moral judgment mm -hmm. um, and he is bad because his body exists. Like, yes. Yeah. He is the sin. Yeah. As is the case with fat phobia. He is the sin. Yeah. Another famous example of this is in the witches, um, the character of Bruno Jenkins, who is basically just, I mean, he's a fat kid who can't stop eating and ends up getting turned into a mouse because the witches see he can't stop eating and they trick him into eating this uh, chocolate that's been tainted with a potion that turns children into mice. And by the way, their whole plan to take over and to stamp out children and to turn them all into mice is to implant this magic potion in chocolate shops so that children's mm -hmm. own lust and gluttony will get them. <laughs> that is interesting. I completely forgot yeah. that point. Oh, that's very interesting. Uh, I feel like that comes back several times in Roald Dahl. And yeah, yeah. Roald Dahl's right. I mean, oh, yes. the... The book Boy, uh, it's a biography of Roald Dahl. And you get everything about his writing becomes crystal clear. You see his issues with food. <laughs> you see his issues with women. Mm -hmm. I mean, kind of, you kind of get fatness just from all of that. Um, he's got he's had a fascinating life, but certainly a lot of those traumas yes. uh, are reflected heavily in his writing. I would point out that this idea that I'd rather be dead than fat. I mean, we have a whole society full of people who believe exactly that. I remember one time I was in a Starbucks and <clears throat> I'm striking up a conversation with someone and they 
were going to pick me up, you know, sexually. And I said, well, you're not my type. Well, what's your type? So I showed them my type and they're like, oh my God, I'd, if I looked like that, I would shoot myself. Right. And I asked him and I said, well, why? And of course he fell back on what I call fat fundamentalism. Oh, because it's so unhealthy. I said, so let me get this straight. Being fat is so unhealthy that you would shoot yourself. (laughs) Is that your logic? Is that what you're saying? And it was actually, (laughs) it was interesting because it led into a whole conversation of, of course, his fear of being fat, that that was literally the worst thing that could happen to him. And I promise you, this is not isolated. There are so many people who go around, who walk around in that mentality. And what Dan just talked about is one of the reasons why the subject of fat phobia in children's literature is actually important. Because the programming for this attitude comes from this period of childhood in the literature. Um, yeah, absolutely. One of these, I, I think one of the articles that Trevor already mentioned, it might have been one of the other ones I read, uh, talks about how children at the age of three to five have already been programmed to recognize that fat is a bad thing. It's a mm-hmm. negative thing. And they would, they would prefer to be uh, crippled or maimed in some way than to be fat. At age five. Right. So these stories matter. Uh, yeah. And uh, there's a couple good books that out there for, but they're, they're so rare at this point that to find those few good books with kind portrayals of fat people, you have to go through just this minefield of uh, terrible representation. Yeah. I actually thought I found a, a good trope for fat characters. And then uh, I found a scholarly article that I will, that I will also share that proved me wrong Uh, (laughs) in this is less so in books, probably more in just broader children's entertainment, but the fairy godmother Mm -hmm. is generally portrayed as being a larger matronly woman with good intentions and magical powers that will save the day that the most uh, famous of them being Cinderella's godmother from the Disney Mm -hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. Um, what's been pointed out by this article though, is there are multiple portrayals of the fairy godmother across multiple forms of media in every form where she's per- portrayed by a larger woman. Not only is she these positive qualities I've mentioned, she's always disorganized, scatterbrained, mm-hmm. mm, kind absent. of ineffectual, right? Yeah. However, and, and, and sort of oblivious to the consequences of what she's doing. Right. And what the this uh, this scholar called it was the fat fairy syndrome, right? Where she has these mm. wonderful powers, but she's not really efficacious. Um, mm-hmm. Or if she is, it's sort of by accident or at the last minute, as opposed to the fit fairy portrayals. In all of these uh, versions of Cinderella, where you have a young, slim fairy godmother, then she's portrayed more like a Glinda, a Glinda of uh, the Good Witch of Oz, where she's mm-hmm. ethereal and wonderful and smart and perfect and not scatterbrained at all. So the the positive portrayal of this fat person needs to be pulled back and tempered by another flaw that right. it's it's a little frustrating, even though it's a, still a good character. Yeah. You know, it, so- it has to be flawed that way. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that kind of leads into what I started taking away when I was reading these articles. Um, If you're going to include a lot of, you know, evil or mean fat characters in Harry Potter, having fat characters on the good side, which she does have a few, to balance it out and not just some side character whose class they go to that's mentioned once each book, but like 
actual fat heroes to represent, you know, both sides of, you know, the character, the protagonist and the antagonist um, that people well, can I, look up to. I think this might be an interesting test. Because I, I agree with what you're saying, Michael, but like how, what, what, uh, what's another way to translate that into an action that an author could take? Mm-hmm. And I think it, would, might, it might be this. Is there a fat character in your story that people would want to be? Like, you know, of course people want to be Harry Potter. And sure. of course people want to be Hermione. Yeah. And people might even want to be Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. But, and, you know, and you could say, well, and, and, and of course you could say that, well, you know, Hermione and Harry are this sort of, you know, straight white ideal, you know, Dumbledore's aged. We can talk about racial diversity in Harry Potter another day. Yeah. But I don't think anybody wants to be Neville. No. Who in the films was portrayed as fat. And I don't think anybody wants to be uh, Vernon Dursley. And I don't think in, and if we go to uh, fantastic beast where there's an almost positive portrayal of a fat guy, I, you know, I think the fat actor is adorable. He's really, he's yeah. really handsome. Yeah. I don't think anybody wants to be Jacob Kowalski, no. even though he seems to get the hot, you know the hot blonde woman no he doesn't mm-hmm. uh and she plays him and as the as the films go on we she increasingly plays him right uh because he's of course fat and ineffectual oh and yes as as one of our authors in our articles points out oh of course he's a baker oh but he's an unemployed baker so he works in a canning factory right it's got to be food related so mike the test i'm i'm putting forward is have you written a fat character that somebody would want to be. It's worth it's worth circling back to Neville too, because at first glance, Neville is a great character arc. He's actually the guy who saves the day ultimately. Um, mm-hmm. But it's he's another example of the character that is ineffectual, unliked, and unloved. Mm-hmm. Until even in the books, he loses the weight. He returns from yep. one of the breaks, having slimmed down, and suddenly he seems to be more of a power in the books than he was before. So. I had forgotten that I don't my recall for for things like book details is pretty terrible. But I remember that the actor, just as he grew up, lost weight and, you know, grew into himself and became ridiculously uh, hot. Right. Well, and he, he, he worked out. He worked out a lot. I mean, he didn't just sort of accidentally lose weight. Sure, was- sure. But I had forgotten. So, Don, you're saying that was written into the books, too. It was it was something in the books, but like most physical, most of the good characters don't receive a lot of attention to their physical characteristics. And definitely you don't get reminded of those physical characteristics very often. You know, Molly Weasley, I think it's described once somewhere. Yeah, I think just when you first meet her, you know, she's described as a plump woman. Yeah. So never again are you reminded of that character feature. Which is, that is what I would say is how it should be, but for all characters, good and evil. Like, if you want somebody to be a fat character, by all means, yeah. describe them as fat, but then move on from that point, because that is not that is not the defining feature of that person yeah. leading to all of their moral decisions. And if character descriptions aren't repeated, readers tend to put, uh, put their own uh, descriptions into their place. And right. it's especially if that, that reminder never comes up. So, for example, this is not a weight related issue, but when the Hunger Games came out, there is a young uh, female character in there that they cast a black girl to play. And mm-hmm. the fan base just went insane because how oh dare God, they yeah. play? Uh, they, like, she's clearly a white girl. But if you go back and read the book, she is described as being darker skinned, but only mm-hmm. once. And most of those readers forgot or ignored that and put their own description on there of what they wanted her to look like. Right. So right. you're seeing that with uh, the heavier positive characters, they're 
because we have so many people have that existing well, stereotype, they're imposing their own views on the character. Let's take the Hunger Games again. I mean, Peta is supposed to be a fat kid. Um, and in the movies, at least, he's maybe you could argue that the actor whose name I'm forgetting Josh is Hutch- kind of Josh Joey. Hutchinson. Josh Hutchinson. Maybe Hutcherson. You could. I, I don't. He's no, not. You could argue no. he has. You could argue he has a. No. He's the not. best you can say is he has a roundish face. That's as far as you can get with baby that. face. Maybe, but definitely yeah. not fat. So that's a it, weirdly that's an example of them going the opposite direction in the exact same property where they they took you know what maybe you could say they just stayed faithful to the books by casting a black actress, um, but at the same time they also cast a quote unquote traditionally handsome boy. To play a character who's supposed to be fat. Can you imagine the uproar if she were trying to decide between the <laughs> traditionally hot guy and the chubby blonde kid with a heart of gold and a sack of flour? I mean, oh my God, there would be there would be no credibility in the movie in this culture. Mm-hmm. Well, there seems to be. It would be a parody of itself. The the YA books in general, like the ones that were adapted for the screen, Divergent. Hunger Games, all of that stuff. I'm hard pressed to think of an overweight character in any of them. It's interesting because the way I haven't read the Hunger Games, full disclosure, but from everything that I've heard described to me about Peta's character, he is shown to be ineffectual in a lot of ways, but he does come up with an ingenious way to survive the Hunger Games based on actual skills and talents that he's worked on. Um, basically it's a little silly, but basically he, he works in a bakery, shock and surprise, and he decorates cakes. Uh, Trevor, correct me if I'm wrong, but that is the skill that he uses to camouflage himself when he's stuck in the hunger games. Um, and that is how he survives. So I don't know, like, is that a positive portrayal of a fat character ingeniously coming up with a way to get through a situation? I don't know. Is it would be if it would be if he were fat. In the books, he is. In the books, it is. He is. Yes. A fat I'll be character. honest. I didn't even know he was supposed to be fat until you said that just now. I had no idea. Uh, yeah, I was not a. I did not know that. I. All right. That's well, let point. me double check. Let me check my resources. <laughs> then I. Maybe I'm wrong. That's my point. No, no. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that 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 everybody has bent over backwards to make sure he is not seen as fat because he's too positive. He can't be fat. Uh, here, I, so this is from Goodreads. He is described as being medium height with a stocky build and has ashy blonde hair that falls in waves over his forehead. Stocky. Um, <clears throat> sort of the sort of fat light. Uh, he is the town baker's son and is talented with baking breads, cakes and icing cakes, which proves to be an unexpected boon in the arena. Right. Yeah. There's nothing there about fat. I, and I don't accept that stocky is just being a code word there for fat. I think stocky is there as he's, you know, he's not, he's not skinny. beautiful and handsome. Well, I don't know, because if, if stocky is sort of the male equivalent of the pleasingly plump applied to the women in Harry Potter, right? Like, or I think even like maybe. curvy, it's a dismissive like, term of the good fat person. Uh, it's dismissing the fat. I know I can see in the case of a YA book, it's, you know, like he's kind of fat, but like in a way that's okay. And he's still cute. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, like lineman ish, like he's got a little belly, but not too much. And he's got those big hands for kneading bread that maybe he's going to uh, squeeze your boob or something. I don't know. <laughs> <much girls want. laughs> Good try, Trevor. Good try. 
Is that <laughs> is that what teenage girls want when they read uh, Hunger Games? Or are they thinking about uh, probably not? <laughs> I mean, read the fan no. fiction; you'll find out for yourself. Um, so, uh, Kate Hagen in her article, Trevor, what? Sorry, I'm just thinking of like he needed my boob, like it was a a bun he was baking. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, keep going. Uh, <laughs> no. I, no. <laughs> no. As he kneaded the flesh, it began to rise, as every good baker would expect. Oh, boy. Okay, I take it back. Stop. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what the podcast is now. Uh, in Kate Hagen's article, um, The Ideology of Fatness in Children's Stories, uh, she starts it off by mentioning... A, a small handful of fat female characters depicted uh, accurately that she has enjoyed. Um, Hairspray, My Mad Fat Diary, You're the Worst, and of course, Shrill. Um, and I was curious, do we have, I mean, certainly we've come up with our own uh, movies over the, over the last couple months in the podcast, but do we have other uh, books with fat characters that are positive that we could point to? Um, well, so my, my tip, Oh, just the tip, for the week is so I have two examples I can vouch for. Uh, I think I previously mentioned Dear Sweet Pea by Julie Murphy, mm. um, which is a middle grade book with a fat little girl who is kind of intercepting letters to the the dear Abby of her town's paper and like writing advice for people. Um, and then the only example I know of for middle grade fiction with a fat I say fat positive, like a positive portrayal of a fat character who is male is All of Me by Chris Barron. Mm. And it's the main character, Ari, is kind of dealing with his parents' divorce. He's moved across the country and he's dealing with um, body image issues. So it's it's positive, but it is kind of like a, a heavier subject. I think there is a huge dearth of fiction for children with fat characters where it is just like, the world's bigger. There's more happening. There's, it's more fantastical. I have a third one to add to that list. Ooh, you do. Well, I don't know. Maybe I should ask your permission first, Trevor. I mean, go, you can. Oh, Trevor mentioned at the beginning of the show, his book, uh, which is the beginning of a series called Trevor and Hogarth, which is, uh, about a young boy who solves, <laughs> solves mysteries with his, uh, bulldog. And it is, a delightful read. I read an earlier draft it's of wonderful. it. He has it's really wonderful. Worked on it since then. Um, but I think the listeners should start a petition for Trevor to release to self-publish his book, and then we can get it out to the world because this is a an area that needs more positive influences. And I think you could be a leader in that world. It. Uh, I mean, I've. I'll link to. Uh, I kind of talk more about the process of the book and trying to get it published in uh, AUX Populi, hosted by um, my roommate from college, Andy King. And I spoke with him kind of about all sorts of things, but including writing and my book and that whole journey. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting as kind of I was going through this process of, you know, I wrote the book, I was submitting it to agents because you need an agent to get a publisher to publish it. And all sorts of feedback, which I was expecting, like there were going to be people that are like, oh no, this is, you know, fat, I don't want to do this. But it was almost entirely positive feedback to like, oh my God, there we we need more fat characters in children's literature. 
The only negative feedback I received was from a fat woman, which I was so shocked by. And it was um, an agent I spoke to over the phone. And this was part of something else. This was, she did, was not interested in the book, and she made that very clear. And it was a horrible experience. But like, why is he fat? Like, I don't, oh, yeah. why are you describing him as fat? And like, I, why would you say fat? I'm like, well, like, I'm fat. So I think it is the most accurate description. Like, I didn't want it to be like too, like he's fat. It's fine. I, I was just like, I mean, I'm, I was stammering like I am now. Cause I was like, ah, I don't even know why <laughs> was, this is was, like such an issue with you. Cause I want to be like, you're fat. Like this, I thought this would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of internalized fat phobia there. Like she just yes. objected to the entire treatment of the subject. Like, how dare you talk about fat and even use the word. And right. every, everything about the book. It was, ooh, um, that was a terrible experience. Wow. Um, well, clearly. In fact, I think that's probably her motivation to talk to you was to express her offense. So it is currently shelved. Uh, if there's any literary agents, uh, <laughs> listen to this podcast and you've gotten this far and get at me. Uh, maybe I'll release the first chapter with this episode. I think that is a great idea. Um, I love that. I think you should absolutely do that. And I can assure you, if, if speaking from the completely unbiased opinion of being your husband, it is a delightful <laughs> book that absolutely deserves to be out there. Yes. I well, thank wholeheartedly you. agree. We will also uh, release a list of body positive books uh, that I found uh, from a website called booksforlittles.com. Uh, they have a subsection called Fat Liberation. List of a couple books there that are good for kids of three to seven, looks like around there, uh, including one that this, I read the description last night and I was like, I need to bring this book up uh, because it sounds amazing. I would totally read this to any child. The Adventures of Isabel isn't for everyone. It's subversive and violent. Normally I avoid violence in books, but Isabel is so smooth and boss as she decapitates giants and dodges shills for big pharma. Isabel didn't, <laughs> Isabel didn't scream or scurry. She washed her hands and straightened her hair up. Then Isabel quietly ate the bear up. <laughs> I wow. love it. Now, yeah. I mean, That's how can awesome. you read that description? Not want to read it. Now, there is a note <laughs> under this that I missed last night. Uh, apparently, this book has been reprinted with slim characters. What? Uh, so... If you want the kind of awesome big girl version of this, you're going to need to go find the original printing. But uh, the little illustration that I'm seeing from here, and it's ages five and up uh, and a warning for violence. Uh, <laughs> it, this, it, the book looks amazing, and I'm very disappointed to hear they did that. Also, a YA series that uh, I would recommend. It's, it's not specifically directed at young adults, but it's very appropriate for young adults. Uh, anyone who knows me or has listened to me on anything before knows I am a Terry Pratchett fanatic. Mm -hmm. I love him. And his portrayals of larger women in his books are almost completely unique in that they are extremely well developed with deep psychologies and very understandable. Uh, so one that I want to bring up is uh, his book Masquerade uh, featuring Agnes Nitt, who is unapologetically an extremely large woman. Uh, who the witches in her hometown decide she needs to be a witch because the witches have a ma maiden mother crone thing going on and their maiden has gotten laid and gone off to become a mother. So they need a new maiden and they think that the, <laughs> the fat girl is most likely to stay a maiden a long time. So she says, uh. fuck this, packs up, goes to the city, joins the opera where she gets sucked <laughs> into a parody of uh, the Phantom of the Opera, 
where she is the real talent behind Christine, who everyone thinks is a genius because she's pretty. But Agnes Nitt is the one who just sees what's actually going on. And it is a great telling of Hmm. uh, a real fat character with interesting psychology behind her. So nice. Very worth it. That's awesome. Yeah. And yes, I do have a bit. (laughs) Do you have, can we can we see your bit today? Our bit is called Fat Fairies. Oh. All of our questions are based around uh, fat fairies or other magical people. Uh, so mm-hmm. enchanting. Going with our tradition, I've got four different categories. Each of you will get your own, and then we get to do one for all four, all three of you. Okay. Uh, so the categories, Trevor. Why don't you lead us off this time? We've got Bibbity Bobbity Hey Boo. <laughs> Check nice. the folds. <laughs> I like it already. Boss fairy or simply divine. Nice. I'm going to go for simply divine. Simply <laughs> divine. Pat Carroll, the absolutely iconic voice of Ursula the Sea Witch in mm. uh, The Little Mermaid, was not Disney's first choice. They actually originally went out to one, B. Arthur, whose agent advisor that playing a sea witch was a no win situation for her. <laughs> Jean Stapleton, who played Archie Bunker's wife in All of the Family. She turned down the role because she was scheduled to play a witch in a completing movie. Three, legendary stage actress Elaine Stritch, who turned down the role because she could not accept the morality clause in the Disney contract. (laughs) That Hmm. sounds like her. (laughs) Or four, Liza Minnelli, who accidentally missed out on the role due to a prolonged stint in rehab. Hmm. Um... I think I know this one. I'm. I think I. I, I believe it's Gene Stapleton. Okay, Michael, you think you know? Mm, I'm afraid to say no. I think it's Elaine Stretch, but okay, you keep going. The correct answer, Dan. Do you want to throw your hat in the ring on this one? I. I think I'm going to go for Liz Minnelli. The correct answer is B. Arthur. Who no one oh my god <laughs> we all yep. suck uh it's actually not known <laughs> if she personally ever heard about the offer uh but uh, basically her agent advised that uh, playing a sea witch was just not a good look for her at that time period <laughs> dang all it right. and it was called it was called divine because the the character ursula was modeled to look like divine look like the drag queen mm-hmm. divine from the john waters movies that's correct <laughs> dan do you want to go up next sure okay we've got bibbity bobbity hey boo Boss Ferry or Check the Folds? Do you really, really need to ask, Don? Check the Folds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Meriwether, the blue fairy from Sleeping Beauty, is not only delightfully plump, but is also tied to an interesting Easter egg in the movie. One, she makes the first accidental blue joke to appear in a Disney film in a very subtle line about the prince's tights. Hmm. Two, she eats cookies shaped like Mickey Mouse's head in what's known as a hidden Mickey moment to Disney fans. Hmm. Three, at one point, sharp-eyed viewers can see she is wearing Cinderella's glass slippers under her poofy floor-length skirts. <laughs> <laughs> or four, an early version of her appeared in the movie Fantasia, making her the first Disney character to appear in multiple Disney feature-length films. Ah, a contract player. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Hollywood joke. Ah. Uh, Gosh, this is tough. I, they're all so supportable. Ladies and gentlemen, I have broken Dan. <laughs> well, it's the folds. I'm distracted. <laughs> um, I, I'm just, I'm going to go with the, the, the Mickey, hidden Mickeys of the cookies. Okay. Uh, the correct answer is 
the Mickey cookies. That is correct. Oh, yay. Uh, she can be seen chomping down on some Mickey head shaped cookies uh, during the course of the movie. Uh, let's see. Wait, what, got, was the, what inspired the title? The folds? Basically, it's a hit. It's an Easter egg. So when you're you're searching for something, mm. you've got to hide it. So. Mm. Yes. Yes, you are. I'm reaching a little <laughs> bit, but. I, no, I had not. a feeling that's what we call Dan bait in the biz. <laughs> Yum. I like yeah. the bait. Michael, we've got Bibbity Bobbity Hey Boo and mm-hmm. we've got Boss Fairy. I will take Boss Fairy for all the points. <laughs> okay. In Tinkerbell's expanded universe, Rubenesque Fairy Mary is one of her mentors. <clears throat> what surprising secret ability does she reveal in Tinkerbell's Secret of the Wings? Mm-hmm. One, when her wings. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just be an open ended question. <laughs> uh, one, when her wings are injured, she uses her fairy dust to climb beanstalks in an athletic and vigorous way that some outraged parents have compared to pole dancing. Two, she is an incredible ice skater, able to do incredible athletic feats, and uses her body weight to seismically shatter ice in an interesting and artistic way. Three, aerial sumo wrestling. She manages to block a number of dangerous peach pit projectiles by punching them with her pretty paunchy posterior. Or she's the lead singer in a metal band. <laughs> oh, I really want that to be the one. Um, damn it. I, all right. I think the answer is probably... I don't know. I think maybe the first one, the pole dancing one. Uh, pole dancing on beanstalks? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. But I really want it to be her singing in a metal band. <laughs> <laughs> well, singing in a metal band is uh, the new Trolls movie. In fact, uh, Fairy Mary is known for her ice skating. Dang it. Um, I actually just watched the, the, you can see the video clip of this on YouTube. I checked it out last night and at first, I was thinking like, oh, this is great. Like she's they have her doing this like Olympic level skating stuff and it's fun. And then mm-hmm. she flies up in the air. She comes crashing down and the ice shatters I'm like, oh, great. It's a fat joke. And then it's not like she just she uses her weight appropriately to crack the ice and splash the water up around her to make this amazing sort of ice sculpture around her so she can make a final pose. Lovely. Surprising mm. and and cute. Mm. And that, that's from what now? The Adventures of Tinkerbell? That is Tinkerbell Secret of the Wings. Okay. Keep up, Michael. It's part of the expanded <laughs> Tinkerbell universe. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we have an all play with Bibbidi Bobbidi Hey Boo. Uh, I've installed buzzers in front of all of you. You can buzz in if you believe you have the answer. Disney's Cinderella's fairy godmother, famous for singing Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo, oh, yeah. was physically based on what real life woman? One, Doris Day. Original versions had her being slightly more voluptuous and sassy, but Disney had them pull it back, pull back the sexuality of the character. Two, Ginger Rogers. The original script had a magical transformation number that was supposed to have extensive choreography, which was later cut. Three, Hmm. Eleanor Roosevelt. She was originally intended to be a little bit more curmudgeonly and smart, but Disney turned the character into a more scatterbrained direction. Or four, no celebrity at all. She was the lead animator's idealized picture of what his young and spelt life wife would look like when she got older. Huh? Hmm. I have an answer. Bzzzt. Dan, is Dan answer? is our first to buzz in. Dan, what do you think it is? I- I'm going with the Doris Day angle. Doris Day. Doris Little va 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 honk. That's what my buzzer sounds like. I'm I'm honk. I'm honking okay, in. Trevor. Um, <laughs> I I'm going to also say Doris Day. Okay. 
We got two for Doris Day. Michael, are you the My rebel? buzzer is broken. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. I Quick, think someone help Michael Doris. press his buzz- buzzer. <laughs> Trevor, Trevor's buzzing his buzzer for me. Yeah. Uh, I think it's probably Doris Day, but I'm going to go with the fourth one just because I think that's the cutest answer. Okay. The, the, his idealized, his idealized his picture of what his, what his thin and svelte young wife will look like eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, the correct answer is number four. <gasps> Shocking! Yay. Yep, the fairy godmother is Optimism actually pays off. <laughs> is actually what he hoped his wife would look like in the future, as uh, mm. attested to by their daughter. Mm. Really, that is that is a story that she told in a documentary. Mm. Interesting. Maybe a little little chaser action going on there. Just a little bit, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I I for for the first time maybe ever. My my hopeful optimism for what an answer sh- could be has paid off. And I feel vindicated. <laughs> I feel very. I hope you got a, I, I hope you have some music to accompany this moment. <laughs> I will. Yes. I have the sweeping strings. <laughs> yep. Well, I think that's our our show for the day. So, uh, thank you. Hey, did you guys realize that we got through the whole show without talking about uh, COVID nineteen? Wow. Well, I mean, we kind of did. But yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. <laughs> Good oh, job. I don't think that's true at all because we started with it. I think, I mean, it's we, we started talking about what we were doing in life, like with our days, but we didn't specifically talk about the quarantine. So I'm well, Way to go, Michael. You bungled that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I counted as a win too. All right. Um, um, so, yeah, so, let's restate uh, our listener question just in case you missed it um, or need a refresher. Uh, we'd like to ask everyone. We want to ask everyone out there listening. Is there an action you've taken or a conversation you've had with a friend or family member that's had a positive impact on how they relate to your being fat or your attraction to fat people? Or if you feel like you're already pretty much there and there isn't necessarily room for improvement, what are you doing that you that feel works. like yeah. helps with that? Yeah. Like what is your... We're looking. We're looking for some positivity in this time of uh, much. Cons- oh, so what? How, how did it go last week? It was in this time of uh, in these difficult times, these troubling times. Yes, these difficult times. Sorry, you you have to bookend it because you it, it start. It always starts with in these troubling, difficult, different blah 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 times, and then it always ends with now more than ever. And now more than ever, you should <laughs> submit these answers to us on our various social media. Uh, go 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 we're on instagram and twitter as at big fat gay pod we're on facebook as the big fat gay podcast and you can see all the lovely things we talked about on today's episode on www.bigfatgaypod.com yeah (laughs) so do that send us stuff awesome and leave us a five-star review on uh, apple podcasts or uh stitcher Uh, and also on facebook if you happen to stop by and check us out we've got some really good discussions going on there as well yeah review us uh and if you're listening in your car fairy godmother's behind you yeah and she's gonna make all your dreams come true bibbidi bobbidi (laughs) boo so watch out (laughs) 